Man, what, a, what an incredible celebration that was a few weeks ago. For people to get forward, 25 people to step up and say, I am proclaiming, publicly proclaiming my faith in Jesus Christ. And uh, to go through that time of baptism, what a special, special day that was. And, I, and we love those kind of celebrations, don't we? We just love those moments. Um, but here's the thing. With, with, with every good moment we have, there, there's also the flip side, the bad, right? Like if I were to say, hey, let's have some cake. We get all excited about the cake, the icing, the moistness of the cake, and, and maybe the flavor, and we dig in, and it's so sweet and good. But then I go, wait, wait, wait. Who, who's going to clean up the kitchen? Who's going to wash all the dishes? Like, oh, I like the cake, but I want it to deal with baking it, which I have no clue about that area, but, and then cleaning it up, right? Or maybe the, the recitals. We go to the concert. We go to the recital. We love all that. That's, that's great, but we, who wants to practice over hour and hour and hear the monotony of that same note and that same music, right? Or what about going to the game? Love going to the game. Love watching our kids compete, but who wants to practice and have the sore muscles and the sweat and all those kind of things? You know, winter is coming. Can't wait for a white Christmas, right? But I really don't want the frigid temperatures or to shovel a lot of snow. See, for everything, it seems like there's a good, there's, there's, there's a bad or something we have to deal with. So we come to church on Sunday morning. Nothing more I enjoy than talking about joy and hope and love and peace worshiping God, but we don't want to talk about hopelessness or sorrow or death, right? Forgiveness, let's talk about it. Shame, don't want to go there, right? It's the same with heaven and hell. Oh, we love talking about heaven. We've been talking about heaven, all the incredible things about heaven. And the greatest thing we're excited about is being in the presence of God and seeing Jesus face to face. That is exciting, right? We get... Fired up to talk about heaven, but we don't want to talk about H-E double hockey stick, right? That's sort of what I had to grow up in my house, right? We didn't, you don't say that word. You don't say hell, right? We'll soon study the new heaven and new earth and, and what that's going to be like and, and look at the, what, what's going to happen more so in the presence of God in the next week or two. But we've got to stop talking about heaven for a moment. Talk about the flip side of the coin. Hell. And this sermon isn't meant to scare you, but maybe awaken us. I was reading an Old Testament prophets lately, and I get up and I do reading Old Testament, New Testament, maybe a psalm as well. And, and I've been going through the prophets. I'm telling you something. Have you ever just sat down and read the prophets for fun? Because they're not. I mean, it's doom and gloom and judgment and destruction. And, and uh, I was reading through Haggai, and, and uh, David Guzik said this. He goes, the prophet Haggai was like an alarm clock, unwelcome, but necessary. Haggai told the people, consider what direction their life was headed. He said, stop for a moment. Consider your ways is what he said. Is this really want to continue the direction you're going? God said, you need to wake up and change your priorities or you're headed to destruction. In the same way, we too have to awaken to the truth about eternity. The consequences of our sins, the urgency of sharing the gospel, we have to be awoken to those things. So we begin with asking, what is hell? And of course, just as there are many different opinions about heaven, from theologians and authors and writers, there are just as many differing opinions about hell. 
So I'm going to give him a few of them to you. Origen, who was a theologian, a biblical scholar, a lot of people looked at him, and what did he say? What did he say? This is what he said about hell. It's a place where the souls of the wicked were purified so they could find their way back to God. Dante depicted it as a place under earth's surface with nine levels of suffering. Nine levels. Some of these concluded sinners were bitten by snakes, tormented by beasts, showered with icy rain, trapped in rivers of blood. C.S. Lewis, who you're familiar with possibly, described hell as a dark, gloomy city on a place where being fades into non-entity. And of course, the famous philosophers ACDC said it had been a... uh, it ain't a bad place to be. It's where all our friends are going to be. Uh, now, I will admit that I've listened to that, that song uh, in that group, ACDC. I did not have their cassette. And some of you students in here right now are going, what's a cassette? Okay. Ask your parents. They'll help you out. Um, but my, my roommate was a heavy listener in college of ACDC, and I heard that song way too often. A former pastor who I used to look up to because he was so on track, and then he took a different route a few years back on his beliefs. He said this about hell. It's not about, he goes, hell is is not about someday or somewhere, but about the various hells on earth that people experience in this life. Genocide, rape, and unjust things in life. Various opinions, right? But if we're to get a true sense of what hell is, then we have to do what we have done with heaven. Go to the most, most accurate source we can Find the writings of the Bible and those who surrounded Scripture in those times in the ancient writings. The Jews in the first century, we looked at them. They used the Old Testament to hold on to their beliefs and develop their beliefs and their theology. But here's the thing. The Old Testament doesn't say much about the subject of hell. So if you open up the Old Testament, you might see judgment in there, but... The subject of hell, you probably won't find. Just as similar with Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and heaven, you won't find that. But these things are developed from Old Testament into the New Testament as you study. So we look into the various ancient writings to discover exactly what did the first century Jews believe about hell? So let's start with them, and then eventually we'll get to Jesus. Here's what the first century Jews believed. Hell was a place of punishment after judgment. They believed that after the wicked died, they went to a place called Hades or Shoel, and this is not the same thing as hell. It's a place where the wicked wait until judgment day. After judgment day, they're thrown into hell's punishment for their sins. It was not a place of, I'm sorry, it was a place not of correction, but of punishment. Because a lot of people were thinking This is where you go. You're going to be corrected and then released and possibly sent into heaven. That is not true. It's a place of punishment. The first century Jew also believed then that hell was described as being images of fire and darkness and lament were used. A place complete dark and yet the flame of its fire was burning brightly. Typical images used by the first century Jew to describe hell. And as we'll soon see, Same images that Jesus used in describing hell. The same Jews, however, were not in full agreement as to whether or not hell was a place of annihilation or a never-ending punishment. It was one or the other, and they, they argued about it. Was this a place where you went and you were completely annihilated, never to be, or would you be there forever and going through a never-ending punishment 
which one, and they argued about it. So what is clear about the first century Jew, though, is this. They believe there is a hell. And that's what they believed. And the Jewish world is the one that Jesus grew up in. That's why we started there. Because Jesus grew up in that context of what these first century Jews believe. But before we look at what Jesus did and what he said about hell, I'm going to pause for a second. If what we're about to read is true, and I believe it is true, it is God's word, no errors in it, and we believe them, what do I do with these truths? I mean, we need to probably pray right now that as we hear this truth, we know what to do with it. Do we stay silent about this dreaded place called hell? When we see people around us on a daily basis who are destined to hell, and yet we feel like we are not qualified to tell them about heaven and hell, or maybe we're ashamed of our faith or we're not courageous enough to tell them about heaven and hell. And if this is so important, why won't we say anything? If this is a matter of eternity, why won't we open our mouths and share the truth? Francis Chan said this, this is not about doctrines, it's about destinies. And I think sometimes we get caught up in the doctrines of Scripture and, and well, what is this, what is it? We forget about the destiny of what we're looking at right now. So with that being said, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you now as we dig into the truth of your scripture and your word about what it has to say about eternity, that, Lord, we are, our eyes are open to this, our hearts are open to this. Lord, may your spirit speak to us and help us, Lord. What do we do with what we are about to hear? Make it clear, Lord, because some of us are going to wrestle in our hearts about what we should do. And if we're wrestling, it means you're talking to us. Help us to be obedient to what you want us to do, Lord. In thy name we pray, amen. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25. Let's go right to the Word. See what Jesus has to say about, about hell. We'll see the, the word that he's used is Gehenna, which is translated as hell. It's used 12 times in the Gospel. Jesus uses images of fire and darkness where punishment after judgment is in view. And Jesus, like the first century Jew believed that hell was a horrible place of punishment for the wicked on Judgment Day. And as we read this passage, it's not really a parable. It is a description of a future scene of judgment. After the, after the glorious second coming of Jesus Christ, as, which is actually shared about in the previous chapter of Matthew 24, we learn that this is what's going to happen next. So let's start in verse 31. Where it says, but when the Son of Man, Jesus referring to himself, comes in glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in his presence, and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand, and the goats at his left hand. And the king will say to those on the right, come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. Verse 35 says, For I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, you invited me into your home. I was naked, you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, 
When do we ever see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink, or a stranger and show you hospitality, or naked and give you clothing? When do we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it for the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Then the king turned to those on the left and he said, Away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. Then they will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick and in prison and not help you? And he will answer, I tell you the truth. When you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. And they will go away into eternal punishment. But the righteous will go into eternal life. Jesus gives the verdict in the scripture. Believers are awarded everlasting life. While unbelievers are awarded everlasting punishment. Verse 41 says eternal fire. Verse 46 says eternal punishment. They're used by Jesus to help us understand the concept of what hell is. And it's not a pretty picture. See, there's a big difference between our courts of law and God's courtroom. If you've ever been in a courtroom, you know there's a judge. You're somewhat intimidated because it's the judge. It's the law, right? Whether you've been on trial or you've been jury duty like I've done, you sit there and you respect the judge. You realize authority is right there. But can you imagine the courtroom that we see today in the courtroom of God, the big difference? Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, says this. If you want to turn back to you, you can. Jesus talks about the word again, Guyana, which is again translated hell. He says, Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, You've heard that our ancestors were told, you must not murder. If you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. I'm going to stop right there. It's really simple, isn't it? If you commit murder, you'll be put in prison. You'll stand before a judge. And you will have judgment placed upon you by that judge. That's really simple, isn't it? He goes on to say this. But I say, if you're even angry with somebody, you're subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot or a fool, you're in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you're in danger of the fires of hell. God, or Jesus is saying here, oh, there's a court of law in which if you were a murderer, you were convicted, you'll be in front of that judge. But if you call somebody an idiot or a fool and you are angry with somebody, you are in trouble with the courtroom of God. That is scary, is it not? How is our attitude towards others? And we, we sit there and we look at this. And when Jesus spoke of hell, it wasn't to describe life on earth. When we're suffering due to our, our sinful choices or the weather is bad or we have a terrible life experience. Lust, we know lust destroys relationships. We know that anger can lead to violence. We know that drugs and alcohol will wreck your life. And coveting leads to divorce. And life Thinks. But Jesus doesn't call that hell. He says hell is a place of punishment for judgment. Our life might be rough, but it's not even close to being hell. 
How did Jesus describe hell? Like the first century Jews. He too used the image of fire. Matthew chapter 13, verses 40 to 43. In explaining the parable of the wheat and weeds. A parable is a story that Jesus would often tell to say, I've got, we sort of connect like an illustration. And then he would tie it off and say, here's what I mean by this. And he says this, starting in verse 40. Just as the weeds are sorted out and burned in fire, so it will be at the end of the world. The Son of Man, Jesus, will send his angels. They will remove from his kingdom everything that causes sin, all who do evil. And the angels will throw them into a fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And the righteous will shine like the sun in the Father's kingdom. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Just a few verses later in explaining another parable about the fish in the net, verse 49, Jesus says this, that's the way it will be at the end of the world. The angels will come, separate the wicked people from the righteous, throwing the wicked into a fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The image of, of this weeping of the wicked and being thrown into hell, a fiery furnace, is a picture we can get, right? It's not a never-ending party with your buddies. Jesus made it very clear. This is a place you do not want to go. Matthew chapter 8, verse 11 to 12, Jesus continues to describe hell as a place of darkness. He says, I tell you this, that many Gentiles will come from all over the world, from east and west, and sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob at the feast in the kingdom of heaven. But many Israelites, those for whom the kingdom was prepared, will be thrown into outer darkness, where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. As you read this, Jesus is saying, hey, you know what? The Gentiles, those who I did not prepare heaven for, are going to be sitting down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and they're going to be sitting there at the kingdom. Oh, but the Israelites who I did prepare eternity for will end up in hell. Because they relied on maybe, I want a grandfather clause my life into eternity. Well, my, my ancestors were Christians. My parents, my, grand, my grandpa was a pastor for 60 years. I should be in, right? I'm just going to grandfather clause myself right in because of my ancestors' beliefs. Or maybe because of who I am or the nice things I've done. And Jesus says, it doesn't work that way. The Gentiles, those who believed in the Gentiles, they will be in. The Israelites, those who we expect, the religious people, because they did not believe, they will not be in heaven. They'll be thrown into outer darkness where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth, common images used by Jesus. This will be a place, church, of eternal punishment. In studying what Jesus taught, looking at the various works of theologians, the conclusion in which I agree with is that just as we would spend eternity In heaven as a believer, those who are in hell will spend their eternity in hell. It's a place of eternal punishment. We heard about the first century Jews. We heard about what Jesus said. What about other authors in the Bible? What did they say? What about Paul? Remember one time he was Saul. He persecuted Christians, made fun of Christians, killed Christians. And then an incredible transformation in his life. And he became Paul. And he wrote all these books, 13 letters in the Bible, in the New Testament. We, we read them. And what does he have to say about hell? Well, Paul never used the word hell in any of his scripture, in any of his letters. And yet he referred to the wicked's fate 
more than any other New Testament writer. He used words such as perish, destroy, wrath, and punish more than 80 times in his 13 letters. In dealing with the fate of the wicked, he mentioned those more than God's forgiveness, heaven, and mercy combined. Did this matter to Paul? Absolutely. And maybe this is what motivated him so much to want to preach the gospel because he was concerned of our eternal destination. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 6-9. to In this scripture it says this, In his justice he will pay back those who persecute you. And God will provide rest for you who are being persecuted and also for us when the Lord Jesus appears from heaven. Listen, he will come with his mighty angels, Paul said. In flaming fire, bringing judgment on those who don't know God and on those who refuse to obey the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ. They'll be punished with eternal destruction, forever separated from the Lord and from his glorious power. Paul makes it clear. You don't know God? I'm telling you where you're going right now. Eternal destruction. The good news, you're rejecting it? I'm going to tell you right now what's going to happen. Eternal destruction. Second Peter chapter 2. Read through the whole chapter. I'm going to read to you verse 4. Verse 4 says this, For God did not spare even the angels who sinned. He threw them into hell, in gloomy pits of darkness where they are being held until the day of judgment. Revelation chapter 14, read through that. Revelation chapter 20, verses 10 to 15. The scriptures are on the screen. You might want to write them down, or you can ask me, and I'll give them to you later. But as you read through these scriptures, the other writers in the New Testament are all in agreement as to what hell is. And it is not a pretty place. You know, I, I, I'm going to stop for a second and say this. I get it. We don't like walking into church and hearing a fire and brimstone preacher banging the pulpit, talking about hell, right? We deem that as negative preaching. And, and the street preacher who stands out on the curb with his signs, you ever see them before? We think they're crazy, right? He holds up a sign and says, fire and judgment's coming. Turn to God or burn in hell. It's on their poster, right? And we look at them and go, man, those guys are crazy. It doesn't seem too loving, does it? We expect to come to church and hear the pastor preach a loving sermon. But let me have you look at it like this. What if your house is on fire and you're sleeping? You and your family. And the fireman knocks on the door and bangs it open to rescue you. What if you're in the... In the patient at the patient's in the doctor's office and he tells you you have cancer but then with the same breath he says but you know what? we've got treatment that can help you nobody wants the bad news right but following the bad news is the good news that there is a rescue effort being made right now for you i don't want to hear about hell right i don't want to come in here and, and hear the negativity of oh what i don't know that's just a, he's, he's used that word so many times doom and gloom but but you know what there's a message of rescue that quickly follows it and we need to hear both messages because one without the other doesn't make sense today we're surrounded by a, a culture of entitlement we really are everyone gets a trophy right everybody's a winner fifth place no matter you get a trophy you can ask Julian. We've, we've coached in games before where third or fourth place, we've, we've got third or fourth place, and we've got a trophy this big. It's like, why? we got third or fourth. I mean, first place should get a trophy that big. I mean, they're as big as the kids. And it makes no sense. It's not a good thing. It's not a good thing. Oh, but we don't want our kids' feelings to be crushed. 
I'm sorry, life isn't fair. Let them learn it now. I never want anybody to feel left out. Hear me clearly. I don't want anybody to feel like they're left out. And I don't want the loser to feel rejected. But in life, that's going to happen. And in eternal life, we can actually do something about it. We can share the good news that God loves everyone. Listen, not everybody wins, but God loves everyone. I do know that. And we can do something about people going to heaven. Hell is something that can be discussed and it can be easily debated about. Even though God's word is very clear on it, we know what it says, but yet we sometimes debate about it. Francis Chan said this. He said, don't get so lost in deciphering it that you forget to tremble. We can get so caught up in the theology of things and and we forget what it really is. We may not like talking about the judgment of God in hell, but we can't dismiss these difficult truths to make room for the more pleasant attributes of God. I don't want to talk about hell. Let's just talk about God being a loving God. We can't do that. They go hand in hand. I like talking about love, joy, hope, and peace. But we also must face the reality of judgment in hell. It's real. And are we sharing this truth or not? Francis Chan also said this. Refusing to teach a passage of scripture is just as wrong as abusing it. I believe it's time for some of us to stop apologizing for God and start apologizing to him for being embarrassed by the ways he's chosen to reveal himself. As Christians, sometimes we're like, well, I don't want people to think that God's a mean God. He's such a loving God, so I'm not going to talk about this. We should apologize to God for that because we've hidden the truth because we're so embarrassed about our God being a just and righteous God. We have to step back and say, he is God. And it's easy to get caught up in arguments and word studies and theological views and yet miss the whole point. The whole point is this. Hell is real. We're talking about the fate of actual people. And here's the thing. Because I don't want to ruin my day, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to go into the coffee shop and sit there and think about all the people coming in that might not know Jesus Christ is their Savior. I don't want to think about that. I want to enjoy my coffee and have a talk with somebody. I don't want to go to the restaurant and worry about it whether my waiter or waitress or the other people in the restaurant know Jesus Christ or not. I just want to enjoy my food. I don't want to go to school and think about all the students in that school and possibly teachers and administrators who are on their way to hell because they do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. I'd rather just keep my eyes focused on my work and just worry about my own life. I don't want to ruin my day thinking about all that. But here I am with the truth. These are actual people. In light of what I know, what we know, what we've learned, what are we going to do with this? What are we going to do with this? I've used this illustration before to focus on God's love, and I'm going to use it again. Uh, But to do so, I need a little bit of help. Come on up. Going to help me out here. Can you pick somebody out there? Just pick pick another student. Somebody that's sitting out there that, you know, it's like, just love for them to come on up. Miles. <laughs> oh, this is going to be good. <laughs> All right. Tell everybody what your name is. Nice and loud. 
Thank you. Do your name nice and loud. There, now we know everybody's names. Now here's the deal. Eden, have you ever set a mousetrap before? Awesome. Okay. I'm going to help you out, though. I'm going to set it. So we've got a mousetrap up here again. You've probably seen this before. I'm going to show it to you. It's going to real quick. I'm going to set the trap. Ooh, that was close. I know. All right. Trap is set, right? So we know we put the cheese, peanut butter, whatever your choice is, um, right there on that, right? Mouse gets on it, and very simple, right? Okay, put the spoon in. Now, here's what I'm going to ask you to do, Aiden. I'm going to ask you to trip the same mouse trap, okay? It was sort of fun during the first service, that spoon I used. I had to get a new one. It shattered the, it sent it out. I was almost about ready to tell you, Karen, to look out because it sent a piece of it your direction. So this is what's going to happen. I'm going to show you how to trigger this, but we're not going to use the spoon this time. Okay? We're going to use your hand. Are you left-handed or right-handed? Right. You're right-handed? Awesome. So give me your left hand. Okay. So first thing we do is we close our fingers. No. Nope. I'm sorry. Bring them together. Yes. Okay. Flat like this. What's going to happen is, is you're going to aim for where the cheese goes to the peanut butter, right here in this part, right there. That's where we want it. Miles, pay attention to this. Okay. We want that right over top. What's going to happen is you're going to take your hand over top, and when you get about right here, you're just going to come down hard. And you're going to lift up as quick as you can. Okay? That's how you do it. Do not try this at home, anybody. Okay. Now, you are going to do the same thing, Aiden. Are you ready for this? Let me make sure I get it all set. Miles, are you observing? You watching? You paying attention? Does it look good? You sure? All right, good. Before you do this, go ahead and get your hand up there. Whoa. Before you do it, we've got to finish off with what I needed to do. Oh, yeah. Aiden, can you see? No, because a lot of times in life, we've got a lot of decisions to make that are very scary. Choices we have to make that are very scary. But a lot of times, we have no idea how to make those choices um, because we're blind to the things of this world. And so who do we trust? Who do we look for? We go to God, Lord, help me to make the right decisions in life, the right choices in life, because I don't want to get hurt. Sometimes we listen to the voice of God. Sometimes we don't listen to the voice of God. Miles, you're going to pretend to be the voice of God today. You're going to give Aiden direction. You're going to tell him forward, backward, right, left, down, up. Okay? Go ahead and tell him what to do. Oh, and when he gets about two or three inches away from that trap, tell him to go down. And what you're going to do is you're going to go down and up as quick as possible. Okay, let's try it. Ready? Down. Go down. And up as... There you go. Good. You got that. Okay, next time it's going to be the trap. You ready? <laughs> All right, give them direction. Up quick. <laughs> you made me nervous. Everybody saw my face. I was like, not yet. Okay, good. You got it. Good job. Well done. Well done. All right. Were you nervous? Yeah. yeah. But you had to trust Miles, right? Okay. So here's the thing I want you to see. Um, this, is the, this is the trap I decided to use because I thought about using a different trap. I was going to use this one. I thought this would have been awesome. 
but we love you and we want you around for a long time. So, so we didn't use this one. Now let me ask you, if, this, if I would have brought this out, would you have done it? No, not at all. Not at all. Thank you. You guys can have a seat. Well done. Well done. So here's, here's what we do with this. We look through scripture. What do we do with, with eternity? What do we do with hell? It, is, it, it should awaken us, as the prophet said, as we should be awakened to what's going on here. Now, here's the thing. I, I really feel this has been my view of hell. It can be scary. And, you know, I might, might get a little pain out of it. I need to change my view of hell. It should be more like this. It should scare me to death. I need to have a little bit more serious of an attitude about hell. I think we all should. We need to get rid of the thought of that's what it's like and think this is a better perspective. Something we don't want to mess with. Something we don't want to touch. Something we just want to stay away from, right? But what are we going to do with that? What are we going to do with that? Uh, It's got my attention as I've been studying and reading through it. Now that you and I have heard the truth, what are we going to do with it? I mean, should we be scared or paralyzed with fear or should we be compelled by the urgency of eternity to share the gospel with other people? Second Peter chapter 3, verses 11 to 14 says this, Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives we should live. Looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along. On that day, he will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away into flames. But we're looking forward to the new heaven and a new earth that he's promised. A world filled with God's righteousness. And so, dear friends, while we are waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. There is judgment for sure, church. And here's the thing. We all deserve hell. Not one of us is guilt-free. Not one of us is perfect, right? We've all made the mistake. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But God says, I'm going to pay the price. I'm going to send my son, Jesus Christ, to this earth. He is going to pay the price for your sins. He's going to die on the cross. He's going to come back to life. He's going to defeat sin and death. If you believe that, you place your faith on him, you will be saved. So we confess with our mouths and we believe in our hearts that Jesus Christ is Lord. Do you believe that, church? Do you believe that truth? The cost of the gift was the Son of God. Accept that gift that he's given it to you. It's a free gift given to you. When you reject it, you are choosing hell. I'm just rejecting God. No, you're choosing hell. Paul said this in Acts 14. We have come to bring you the good news that you should turn from those worthless things and turn to the living God who made heaven and earth, the sea and everything in it. We know the truth about God. Let's turn to him. And then as, as Peter said, when he said, Second Peter, let's live lives such in a holy, blameless, pure, and righteous way that people look at us and say, there's something different about you. You may be nervous about like, I don't know how to share my faith with others. I don't know what to say. Then just live out your faith with everything you have so that they look at you and say, there's something different about you. Then you can say, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. I trust him. And if you don't have all the answers, you 
Join somebody that maybe can help you along the way. Call up one of us. We'll sit there with you and help share with your friends. But it's nothing to keep inside. I'll ask the worship team to come forward. As a believer in Jesus Christ, let's take the truth of God's word a little more serious. When with more urgency, let's live holy lives. Let's pray that we share the good news with a world that is in danger of eternal separation from God in a real place called hell. And here's the thing. Maybe we need to stop explaining hell away, trying to defend God on our views, and just start proclaiming the solution to it. New life in Jesus Christ. New life in Jesus Christ. Would you stand, please? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what an awesome and mighty God you are. And God, the seriousness of today's scripture, and, and as much as I would rather talk about love, I've got to talk about justice and truth, eternal judgment. We have to be real about what hell is. Lord, we have the truth before us. God, how should we live as we leave this place? Speak to us right now. Tell us, God. How do I live differently knowing this truth? Maybe there's somebody in here that has never accepted that free gift from you. Maybe there's somebody in here this morning, God, that doesn't know you. They've never trusted or placed their faith in your son, Jesus Christ. Today's the day. Today's the day where we can, right where we're standing right now, we can simply pray, God, forgive me. Forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of the things I've done wrong. I've messed up and I need your forgiveness. Come into my life. Give me your spirit, Lord. Help me to live for you. God, thank you for saving me. Help me to live for you. It's a simple prayer. Use your own words. Talk to God right now. What do you need to do to get right with him? Seek his forgiveness. And for the Christian that's in here this morning, what do we do with this truth? We need to share it with those we love. How we do it? Direct us, God. Everyone in this room will do it differently. That's okay. Some of us will be bold and just talk right out. Some of us will maybe live it out in our actions and pray that it leads to the opportunity to talk to them. Maybe we'll give them a track. Maybe we'll hand something to them. But God, help us to use the truth that we heard today and do something with it. It's a matter of eternal measure. God, thank you. Most of all from this, what I've learned in reading this scripture and as I've, and I've learned through what hell is like, Lord, the biggest thing that I've walked away from this message and maybe not the biggest thing, but something I've walked away personally, Lord, I didn't realize until this morning when we sang and that is, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die for me. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for your resurrection. Thank you for conquering death and sin. Thank you for defeating hell. Thank you for giving us heaven. Thank you for giving us your spirit. Thank you, God. God, we sing to you now. We love you, Lord. In our name we pray. Amen.